Grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians is near the end of your Bible, Galatians chapter 5. As you're all heading back to your seats, uh, let me remind you where we are. We're, we're in this wonderful five-week process of remembering that it's grace that tr- changes us. It was great to see one of our older members, uh, Carolyn, say that she has seen miracles. People's lives really change. But I want you to look at a symbol that we're going to be having on a banner for our church. And I want you to turn to somebody next to you and take a look at this symbol. If this is how we think people change at Metro North, what does this symbol mean? Tell somebody next to you what you think it means when we're thinking about the process of change. So turn to somebody next to you and say, this is what I think this means. Everybody try to do that. If you don't have anybody behind or beside you, tell somebody behind you. Why this picture? I mean, we got this amazing statement at our church. We're going to connect people to the transforming grace of God. But this is what it actually looks like. Do you notice one thing about it? It's not a straight line, is it? Well, hey, Jesus gave me his life on the cross and I'm just going straight ahead. It's not a straight line. Notice also it kind of goes up and and down. It even retraces some steps of where you might have been. Change is a very challenging thing and we all want it so bad. Well, you can look at a symbol and you can all give it your own meaning, but the Scripture tells us how change can happen. So, out of honor for God's Word, would you please stand? Paul was a man who was so changed by the Gospel that he wrote a letter to some friends to encourage them in how to change. And in the fifth chapter, he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But... If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to change. Thank you that Paul, through your Spirit, became so changed that he could tell us years ago, through your Spirit, that change is not only possible but inevitable. Send that same Spirit now. Stir us and change us as we hear the good news. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. We all want to change, and it's a dead giveaway, because when you go to Barnes & Noble, that self-improvement, that transformative section is always full of books, and they're flying off the shelves. Did you know that in America, it is a $10 billion per year industry, that whole self-improvement book genre? I mean, you'll read books for your health, and maybe you can change, we, John used the big word, sanctification. You go grab a book, and it's going to tell you you can change this way. Hydration. Drink your eight glasses of water a day, will you? It's going to help you. Change the appetite around. It'll fix you. Or these is, this is real common in a lot of books. Vegetation. I mean, this is kind of the rage. I'm going vegan. Now, if you do that vegan thing, that's cool. I've never wanted to get into it. I like meat. Maybe there's some benefits for switching up the old diet. This is another thing that's really big in the books. It's been our busy culture. Changed by hibernation. Will you just get seven hours of sleep, people? We don't sleep well in America because we're so busy. Well, it's interesting when you look at these books because they're sensible, but they're not very exceptional. In fact, I would bet most of you in here could write one of these books. Pretty obvious. If you get angry, count to ten. That will help. If you're kind of overweight and feeling sluggish, go jogging. That's nice. These are obvious. And these books have two things almost always in common. Number one, simple steps with simple solutions. But if you're honest about your heart and the things that you've never been able to change, do you honestly need a simple step that will give you a simple solution? The second thing in these books is they'll say at the end of every chapter, do these four exercises. Well, what's strange to me is that when you look at the statistics, these high revenues of book sales have an equally high recidivism rate. The most likely purchaser of that book for life change is the same person who purchased one 18 months ago. Aren't you tired of buying those books and seeing so little change? It's not just the book industry, by the way. It's our musicians. When I was 18 years old, I remember the big song that I thought could change the world was good old Michael Jackson's song, Man in the Mirror. Look at the words. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his way, and no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. But I'm 47 right now. I'm not very different. In fact, looking at the mirror shows me how much I am changing. Taylor Swift's The Rage. You all know that she's got a song out called Change. And maybe you have a different musical taste. You like John Mayer. He's got a song where he switched it up a little bit. His song is called Changing. I think John Mayer gets it better. We don't just want one little quick tweak in our life. We want to be changing, becoming different in our lives. How about you? Is there something about you that you really want to change? Something about yourself, something about your situation, but deeper, something spiritually. If you're not a Christian, maybe you'll look over the shoulder of the Christians in this room who have been given the Word of God and a promise of change, 
And maybe you'll actually say, thank God, I don't have to have some superficial step or a soundbite or news in a new book with so little substance. Maybe the Christian message will give me some solid help that I can change in an area. If you want to follow along today, the title of this uh, talk is called Transformed by Growing. And the first point is this. And these are not points that are steps. Stop buying those books and listening to those talks. Most TED Talks are these steps to change your life. What if today you simply received good news? All you had to do is just tilt the ear forward and receive realities rather than achieve these steps to supposedly change you. Here's the first thing I hope you can receive from this scripture. Transformative growth follows the direction of the Spirit, not the direction of your sinful nature. Galatians 5.16, he says it this way, But I say walk by the Spirit, and you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. There's a directional push in the Christian story, and it isn't you. It is something, no, someone outside of you, the Spirit, who is leading you. It's not self-help, it's Spirit help. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Led is directional. And I love what David Powlison says. He's a Christian counselor. He has sat with people like you and people like me for his entire life who says, I want a change in my marriage. I'm done. And he says, now wait just a second. Let's, let's get this figured out about how this is going to work. Or he's heard people say, I don't know what to do with my child. I have tried everything. I had a person yesterday call me and they say, this school won't even take my child. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a school in the area because the child is just a difficult child. What do you do when you can't change your family? What do you do when you can't change yourself? David Powell, he's been hearing stories his whole life and he says this, it is not the distance that you walk when you want to change, but the direction that you walk that matters most. Even when you follow Christ, you're going to wander off, drift, trudge, crawl, and some of you are flat out crawling right now. Or get stuck in the muck of that sin. You will get turned around and head the wrong way for a while. But the Spirit will lead you forward. And there's hope there. When you die, you're actually going to be somewhere in the middle. Speed and distance aren't going to matter as much as your direction. Depend on the Spirit and simply walk His direction. One of our oldest members was walking out of church. And she said, Howard, I was, I was drawing during your sermon. I said, what did you draw? And she drew that symbol. She said, that is my life. But do you hear what David Powell is saying? As good as you try, it goes around and down and up and here, and we're like sheep that stray. David Powell says, do your best. You'll probably be in the middle when you die. Or if Christ were to come back in five minutes, we're going to be in the middle but notice that there is a direction. That symbol has a direction. The Spirit, remember, is the Spirit. Think of wind. You're outside. You don't want to get your hair messed up, but it's a windy day. Hasn't it been windy the last couple of days? So you're trying to get, so you don't have to, you know, deal with the wind. But what if you positioned yourself so that the power outside of you could assist you, but you're going to have to yield to the direction? 
You can't walk at, you can't push against. You simply say, wow, the wind is really coming hard. Now, the Spirit is not a, 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 a air that just blows. The Spirit is a person. You know somebody in your life who loves you, who has influenced you, who is so wise? Imagine a wind who happens to be a person who is in you, connected to your thoughts, and is pushing you to... You're so mad at somebody, and you hear this, forgive. I don't want to forgive them. They'll hurt me. Forgive. Or you're so... The circumstances have fallen apart. Your life's like a deck of cards. And you, you hear this person say, oh, you're so at peace. You didn't need those cards. You've got Christ. Or you're getting really angry at somebody. And you've given up hope because they'll never change. And they call you and your phone... You're, what? They're on the... And this spirit says, answer the phone and be gentle. I don't want to be gentle. They've hurt me. Gentle. I'm gentle with you. Put some butter on your tone. Answer the phone. If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. But you've got to be directed. You've got to yield. You have to let the wind hit you and, whoa, it's getting easier. Give me a hill to walk up. There is a direction. There is a leading. There is a power. Now, it will remind you of something called regeneration. If you're not a believer, what regeneration is, or if you're a believer and you don't know, it's when our hearts, and all of us are like this when we're born. We're born in sin. Our hearts are as hard as a rock. You walk over with a, with a flower, you know, that, uh, something to water, water flowers and water that rock all day long. That rock is not going to suck in through any pores any kind of water. Our hearts have nothing to do with the living God. We are stuck in our sin. We're trying to change every day. We're not going to change. We're just selfish. God looks at us in our sin and says, I'm going to drop in there the seed of my spirit. And like a gardener who can just toss all these seeds, not much is happening. But the seed goes in and something magical happens. There's life that bursts forth. And it says in Scripture that our hearts of stone, because of the Scripture, are born again into this new life now. They are ignited, literally, ignited to, into something new. And there's going to be an irreversible change in nature. You get new impulses. You sit there and it's like, I am not going to forgive. No, I'm not. Maybe I should forgive. He forgave me on the cross. No, I am not going to forgive. I could forgive. I'm not going to look. These new inclinations, these new leanings, these new directional pulls happen when we are regenerated and sanctification, this transformative process, is the flower of the seed of regeneration. God's committed to change you. Well, I don't know if I want to change. I don't know if I can. No, God is committed to change you. If He is your God and Jesus is your King and He says, I'm going to change you every time you go, I can't change. You're looking your King in the face who's died for you, who's sent the Holy Spirit to be in you, to make you alive. I can't change. No, He is saying, I am going to change you. Please submit to the good influence. You can change. This is good news. Oh, I know other people will look at your life. 
Especially people that know you well, and they'll go, I don't think it's going to happen. But God looks at you like a gardener and says, oh, that seed's been under the ground a long time. And the whole world can point their finger and go, that person will never change. But God says, I am a gardener, and it's inevitable. Something's going to pop up out of that ground, and fruit's going to be produced. I am God. Oh, we've got to look at what God's looking at. He sees what we will be. Now, is this direction... Or is it perfection? It's really important we get this. We are not going to experience perfection. Why? It says walk by the Spirit so you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. He's talking to people that have heard the gospel. There's something in us called the flesh. We call it the old nature. There's something in us. And if you don't take into account the flesh, you'll never change. You've got to take this into account because it's the whole story. John Calvin said this, There remains in the regenerate a smoldering cinder. You know what that is? Back in his day, you had to create a fire every day. A cinder is a little piece off of wood that's glowing. And if you pick it up and bring it into a barn with a bunch of dry hay and drop it, what's going to happen to the barn? Look out. Calvin says, Yeah, yeah, we become Christians. We're brand new people. But in us, there remains this cinder. It's smoldering. It's evil in its desires. Oh, it's there. Will continually leap forth to allure you, to spur you to commit sin. The desires of the flesh. It's the self, because it is in you, turned in on the self, trying to control yourself, Others, creation, and God. If people feel you're very controlling and you're like not comfortable unless you're in control, it could be the flesh. Curled in, grabbing. You'll know the old self is desiring if it has to do with what you have that matters so much. If you think an awful lot about what you do, that matters so much. Or you think about what other people are thinking about you. I wonder if they think I'm acceptable. I wonder if they think I'm perfect. That's not from God. God looks at you, smiles upon you, says, I've given you new life. I've pardoned you. Bear some fruit. But all you're doing is, what do I have? What, do I, what am I doing today? What's everybody thinking about me? That's the flesh. Take that flesh into account and notice that over half of the works of the flesh that I read have to do with conflict with people. If you're having a hard time changing in your life, it's often because the friction you have in community is so severe. Notice the words like strife or disagreement. Do you look at most people in your community, I just I disagree with them and I disagree with you and you disagree with me? That's the flesh. Divisions. I see the future a certain way. Why doesn't everybody else see the world my way? Division. No, Jesus Christ gives his people a common vision. Division, dissension. It's that tendency, direction, to put your own selfish desires above everything else and everyone else. Walk by the flesh? No, we don't want to do that. We want to live out of our regenerate being, not our unregenerate part, that cinder. Following the direction of the impulses of the distorted part of us? No. 
Sin does not dominate us anymore or define us. But Jesus is being clear here, and Paul is speaking clearly. That desire will try to drag you down. Be aware of it. I think our musicians are some of our best theologians, like they get it. I'm not a big hip-hop fan, but Macklemore is really doing a lot out there, and I think he nails it with this song. Let me read to you these hip-hop lyrics. He says this in his song, I want to be sober, but I love getting high. I want to give it 100%, but I'm too afraid to try. I want to live by the law, but still think like a vandal. I want to get exercise, but I'm too lazy to work out. I want all the finer things, but I don't want to go to work now. I want to go outside, take my family to the beach, but I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is look at a screen. Look at a screen. I want to eat healthy, but I'm eating this DiGiorno's. I want to tweet about justice, but not show up for the march. And listen to the chorus. I want to live freely. Why isn't it so easy? I should read a book, but I keep watching this TV. And I know this lifestyle doesn't really feed me. All my little problems keep on building up, building up. All my good intentions just ain't good enough. I can't find love. So I smoke until my lungs are full and drink until I lose my cool. Apologies, my middle name, but one day I will change. I know most of you are not hip-hop listeners, but this is what Paul is saying happens in us with a regenerate new nature, that cinder of that old nature saying, follow my desires, and there's this back and forth. Can you relate to this? For me, I struggle so much. I want life comfortable. I don't like pain. I don't like negative things. I, I want my life comfortable. And the desires of my flesh says, keep it comfortable. You deserve it comfortable. But the Christian life is suffering. It's serving. It's giving. It's being in community with uncomfortable people like me. And by the way, how do you see the church? Is the church a group of people that have been regenerate but still can be honest about the struggle with their sinful desires? I think a lot of churches in the South are like golf clubs. Not like a golf club, like a golf club. You with me? Make some money. Get your golf clubs. Get out there and prove to the world that you're going to go out and shoot some golf. But is that the church? Prove yourself. Get out there and be excellent. Or is the church more like walking onto a golf course and seeing a person laying on a gurney? Imagine being a golfer going, what are you doing here on my golf course? I'm a Christian. What are you doing here? The only way you get to this golf course is you prove that you've got the means to play some golf. And you're like getting an IV and you're like, well, I'm supposed to be here because God's my God. You see, somebody laying down who has a cancer, if you will, and is going to get a cure has to be hooked up to that year after year after year. Is the church a club where we just show ourselves how we're growing and changing and playing golf? Or are we a bunch of people that have been delivered the cure, but very slowly, with some forward growth spurts and some backward, are we all not in a hospital? That's, a, that's an important question on how you experience community and what you expect.
Let's put these two together. Walk by the Spirit. You do not have to carry out the desires of the sinful nature. It's so powerful in the Greek. Paul tried to show how absolutely much of a healing promise there was because he says, if you walk by the Spirit, if you allow the Spirit to influence you, in Greek he said it this way, there is no way that the selfish nature will, will, what can be gratified. There's not a chance. Absolutely not. You will not because you need not capitulate and complete the desire of that sinful nature. That's good news. I think a good example of this is in a book called The Voids of the Dawn Treader. There's a real obnoxious jerk of a kid named Eustace, just like all of us. But he experiences regeneration. He's in a relationship with Christ. But they say this of him. He's so rude and obnoxious. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from this time forth, Eustace was a different boy. But to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy, but he had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice because the cure had begun. Transformative growth is directional, but secondly, transformative growth puts the root, and by that I mean rooted into a relationship of belonging with Christ. It puts the root before you walk around expecting all your fruit. Look at verse 25 again, it's, or 22. The fruit of the Spirit, not you, is love and joy and peace. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. This is very important. If you get this order wrong, you're not going to change. So let's get the order right. The root before the fruit. Can you, Dylan, put the picture of the orange trees up? I want you to imagine uh, an orange tree. You're out there and there's these oranges. Simple question. Does the orange on the tree give life to the tree or does the tree rooted in the ground with a nature of orangeness create the orange? Now, it's an obvious question, but it's very important spiritually because Paul's using a metaphor, an image. All this fruit. Think of it this way. Our culture wants to change. So think of uh, someone... Keep, keep the orange tree up, Dylan. Imagine someone that doesn't want oranges. They want apples. So they go out, and our culture says, pamper yourself. So they fertilize that orange tree, but they really want apples. They, they, they give it everything. They don't, they're not strict at all. Well, you can pamper and break all the rules and just absolutely just give that tree everything, but you're still going to get oranges if you want apples. Other people get, get I'm going to diet, I'm going I'm to prune things off. I'm going to prune that orange tree to get my apples. And they scold themselves, they shame themselves, they loathe themselves for not being a luscious, wonderful apple tree. But you can cut, and you can get, and this is kind of religious, you can get religious all you want. But what do you got? You got still an orange tree. The only way to get apples is for a seed that has an apple, a different nature, to root into the soil and you're going to end up getting apples. This is very important for our Christian life. Christianity is not about reforming and fixing and bettering your old self. It's about killing it 
through the crucifixion of Jesus and living into his resurrection life. Jesus died in history. What's true of him, if you're in a relationship of trust, is true of you. You died. Jesus is alive right now. You're alive. What's true of him is true of you. We have got to stop looking in your life and in other people's lives and say, I wonder how many oranges are on that orange tree. It's much more important that the root, we're just experiencing Christ. You hang out with Jesus. You pray to Jesus and you say, Jesus, you're so loving. You're in that. And then you interact with people that are unlovable. And this love, this sap from the root is coming up and now there's fruit in your life, but it's the root before the fruit. The order is extremely essential. It's not success by self-effort, but it's faith in this fact of Christ. Our growth in grace is rooted not in a human's attempt at holiness, but in what God has done for those in union or in belonging, is the word used here, in Him. The nature of a tree of the root always comes before the fruit. The Spirit unites you to the nourishment of Christ and imparts life to you from the root. And this is important for a lot of you wondering about your identity. Your identity comes before your improvement. Your belonging, said another way, in Christ comes way before your behaving like Christ. Find your identity in your position in Christ, not your performance for Christ. You're never going to be justified by your level of sanctification. Instead, focus on the completeness of Christ's work. So sanctification, said another way, is the art of getting used to your justification. Justification is when you're like, I am so guilty, I can't fix myself. And Jesus says, I take your guilt, I take your punishment, I give you my record, and you're like, I'm forgiven. I am pardoned. I'm into this. I'm rooted into this. And out of this overflow of I am a forgiven, pardoned person, Your sanctification is simply the art of getting used to your justification wrought by the grace of God because you're going to either live your life for an identity that you created or an identity that's been given to you. I don't want you to be part of a church that keeps telling you to turn over a new leaf. I want you to be embedded in this new life because the fruit's going to come. Not too interested about your leaves. You'll start having the attributes and the attractiveness of Christ because what's true about Christ it will be true about you. Trusting what is true of Jesus is true of the one who rests in his representation for you. I've seen it amongst us. I've seen new fruit, new qualities of life emerging in your lives. New drives, they come slow. New priorities, new appetites you thought you'd never have. New motions, new vision for what could be. Lastly, transformative growth isn't just directional. And it's not simply getting the order of root, belonging in Christ before fruit. The third one is really important. It enjoys walking way more than running. The Christian life is a walk. Look what it says in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Don't come to church looking for a rapid plan How many books are out there? Do this for 30 days. I just say, throw those away. 
What if you said, in Christ, I'm going to walk with him and his people for eternity? Because when I'm walking in the Spirit, with Christ, with others, it's going to be slow. You're going to wander off that road like that, that, like that symbol. But it is a walk. It's not a program. It's a person you're walking with, a life you're living into. In the Scripture, the two most common identities in the New Testament are disciple and child. A disciple is someone who's learning. When you're teaching somebody that's clueless how to learn, it's slow. They don't always get an A-plus on your test. But when we walk with Christ and when we walk with others, we're learning, we're growing. And children, oh, children, it's lifelong learning. Slow. You see kids, they get the growth spurt, and you're like, wow, grandma, I mean, grandma, grandparents see this. Look at this kid. But then they stop. And sometimes there aren't growth spurts in the spiritual, right? It's like, when will they emotionally grow up? There's starts, there's stops, but with both of them, whether child or disciple, there's a rhythm and orientation that comes under the loving influence of a leader, a parent. And this is important. Our church is pretty strong on grace, but I don't know if I've been strong enough as your pastor on the fact that if you are in Christ, it's time to walk. Now, the pace is slow. Look at this little baby. When a baby comes into the world, we love babies. But babies pop into the world and they got to start breathing. And as they eat from mama, they got to finally get up and crawl and walk. This is a command. This is wonderful, all this talk about fruit and root and direction. But you need to walk when you're truly in a relationship with God. A baby is not given life by her breathing. given life by mom and dad. And yet the baby cannot live without breathing. God's work in us does not make our effort unnecessary. It actually makes it effective. This should give some of you hope. Let me say it again so you catch this. You ever go to, you ever read a book or hear something, just let go and let God. I have no idea what that means. It's hard work to be a Christian because I gotta believe every day that I'm pardoned, I'm in a relationship with Christ, He's forming fruit in my life that are come from Him, that I didn't self-produce, it's a lot of work. But you know what you need to do? You simply need to believe and receive that. You don't let go and let God. You grab on and you start walking in a whole different way of life. And we learn from each other how to do that. Because all of you are transforming in different ways. We watch this person who can pray with ease. We watch this person who can forgive. We watch this person who's merciful. We watch this person who is peaceful when their life is falling apart. And we walk in community and we experience change. A child will start walking. We're not saved by our walking or our good works, but we are definitely saved for good works. And let me end with this statement. God does not need your good work. He does not need orange from your tree. Absolutely not. He is God. He's overflowing and gushing. You want to know who needs your good work? Your sanctification? Our big thing... We are going to connect the next person to the transforming grace of God. You know who needs that? Is your neighbor. Your unregenerate neighbor that doesn't even know that they're sinful and need a new nature. Your regenerate neighbor who is so under the control and gratification of their flesh that they haven't changed for years. You know who needs your good work? Your love, your joy, your peace that's produced by God is your neighbor. And that's what we're doing in this entire initiative. Our Transform Initiative has nothing to do with physical space on a campus. 
It has to do with like a big greenhouse, an incubator of grace, where when the community looks, there is nothing more wildly attractive than fruit shared freely in a selfish world. And I'm seeing it among all of us. Now, Christ died. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward in our worship team. We, we are commanded by Christ to take a meal where a grape is crushed and transformed into wine and a seed drops into the ground, dead, you can't see it, and burst up and it's bread. Jesus says, I've died for you. You've got to take this in. Let me read to you what one of the followers of Jesus said about when Jesus met with his friends. He said this. Matthew was a tax collector. He had radical change. Money lost its allure to him. And it became people and love and all those fruits. Matthew says this about Jesus. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus wanted his people and commands us, as a good king, to take this in, to remember that we cannot make ourselves forgivable. We cannot change. We cannot regenerate ourselves. But God can and he came, and he died, and he pardons us. And a big reason we do this meal, and your elders about a year ago, six months to a year ago, said we have to do this more often. Our people need to be reminded as a means of grace that their change comes from something outside of them, inside of them, that they never had to earn or put together. We remember what Christ has done, our justification, if you will, and it helps us in our sanctification our custom is one of our deacons will come to your aisle and when you're ready, we'll just walk and have you take. And we'll walk. Remember, it's walking over running. It's slow. Walk when you're ready. Some will just want to take um, when you get here. Or you might want to go back to your seat. Confess where you are. If you're not part of the family, remember, belonging comes before behaving. We really don't want you walking up here and doing the drill. That is not the way Christianity works. What we'd rather you do is we have some prayers. Talk to God. Say, God, I have no desire to be in this family. Or I'm not a sinner. Or I don't. What? It, just talk to God. There are some prayers that we give to you because we want you to actually see with the eyes that only the Spirit can give you that this is a meal that is for those that need Christ. We don't want to shame you. We just want you to go your pace. Take as long as you want. But if you are a follower of Christ, it's time to get nourished. It's time to take in again this amazing truth and the Spirit will ready us to go and bear fruit this week. Let me pray. Lord, your Son thanked you with his friends and I am so full of gratitude for what your Son has done. And Lord, I'm so full of gratitude that this church is a greenhouse that's incubating fruit and people have been picking fruit off the trees. Lord, we just want to move forward and put some more trees up. And make room for more people to come and experience regeneration and justification and sanctification and transformative change for your glory. But God, this is a long journey. Would you feed us now? Thank you for your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.